Welcome to First Mile's Climate Heroes. I'm your host, Bruce Bratley, founder of recycling company First Mile. On this show, we meet and learn from the climate heroes who are building solutions right now to tackle climate change. If you ask someone what they should do to save the planet, the answer is often to use less plastic, turn down the heating or cycle to work. But few of us check out where our pensions or savings are invested or who provides our mortgage. Sustainable investing supports a healthier climate, fairer society and generates good financial returns. And today's guest manages sustainable investments at Lion Trust Asset Management and his portfolio has a 77% lower carbon impact than the wider investment market. And we're going to be digging into that number soon. Dr. Peter Michaelis is head of sustainable investment at Lion Trust and is a pioneer in sustainable investment since completing his PhD, which is where I met him, at the Centre for Environmental Strategy in the early 90s at Surrey University. Pete, it's a huge pleasure to have you on First Miles Climate Heroes and welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Dr. Bratley. I think you're, <laughs> you're one of the few people that ever use my, my doctor title. Well, there you go. We could be doctors together and sound uh, jointly incompetent with our environmental knowledge. But indeed, we have been in this sector for a long time. I think we both thought it was probably a, 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 a nascent sector to get into in the early 90s. But in some ways, we were like 20 years too early and everyone's working up to it now, which has been a little frustrating. But, you know, like me, you've stuck at it and uh, very much a pioneer in sustainable investing. So can the listeners hear your story? I mean, what, what, why did you choose sustainable investment as a way of addressing climate impact and what's been your journey so far over almost the last 30 years, probably, uh, with that young? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so I um, started in sustainable investment in the year 2000. I guess I I got that. I certainly didn't ever have an ambition to work in investment. That was never sort of my driving ambition. But what I did do, as you say, we, I did my PhD in looking at, at sustainable development, particularly looking at the steel sector. Having done that, I then worked uh, in, uh, in the steel sector as kind of as an environmental consultant looking at how, uh, you know, the, the sort of environmental attributes of steel and uh, it, particularly in construction versus um, concrete and cement, that seems to be the main rivalry between them. And uh, yeah, and then, and then I was looking around for other opportunities and I found uh, a, a sort of job that was being advertised, actually as maternity cover for uh, analyzing businesses from uh, an environmental point of view. And it was in this kind of rather strange place, the city, which I'd never, never ventured into. Uh, and, and I guess the rest is history. I joined the team. I found it absolutely fascinating. And I guess what I, what I like about it, which is what you alluded to in, in your introduction, is that sustainable investing was re- relatively unknown. It was kind of ethical investing. And most people hadn't heard of it. And yet, I sort of rapidly sort of developed the view that as an individual, if you want to have an influence over the the trajectory of our, our world, one of the, the great unused levers that you've got is where you invest your money. Uh, and, and so I think, to me, that spoke of opportunity. And that's why I've stuck at it for nearly 25 years. Yeah. Now then, before we get into that, I want to go straight into the into the steel thing. So are you just sort of concluding the history because there's a lot of talk about green steel now and you obviously did your phd in steel worked in steel i'm i'm sure you're looking at steel companies all the time if you're not investing in them are we getting closer to having 
environmentally friendly green steel? Is it a better option than concrete? Ooh, well, how long have you got? <laughs> this is why I was getting this one out of the way. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I think if you if you look at generally the part of decarbonisation, I think you can say we've got the technologies for for transport, for electricity generation. Yeah, the, for the majority of things, you can see we've got something that's economic, technologically well developed. Steel and cement are still pretty hard to substitute the current way of doing it. I think steel is more advanced than cement actually in in its transition and. It's going to go to a mixture of, of using hydrogen for the virgin steel stuff from or uh, an electric arc for the for the recycling, and I think you can kind of kind of see that it's it's still very much. I mean, the the trouble is, is that you've got these old blast furnaces which have been around for about a hundred years. The capital has been totally depreciated. And so people want to carry on using them for as long as possible, as long as possible. So you need regulation to say we're phasing those out. You've got to bring in the new hydrogen steel. And we're seeing more companies now starting to specify for the embodied energy in the materials they're using, starting to to work with companies to get uh, greener steel. Right. And where, who's leading on the green steel sort of uh, manufacture? Which country? I mean, people are doing pilot projects in, in different right. areas. Um, so I think you're, you're seeing it in, in, in the US where there's a lot, lot moved to kind of electric arc. In Sweden, there's H2 green steel as well. And uh, in Spain as well, you're seeing ArcelorMittal doing it as well. Okay, cool. Well, that, I just had to I had to ask because you're the steel expert. I have to get you on again. Talk about steel. So, what is how does sustainable investing work then? Because I, I've been looking at line trust portfolios, and the, and you only invest in listed companies, so public companies. So, lots of listeners will be expert if they're expecting to hear about all the latest sort of private techie sort of startup green tech businesses that are sort of just starting up. They're going to be disappointed because we're just going to talk about uh, sort of sustainable investing in listed companies, but also. You go down the list, and they're not necessarily what we'd sort of see traditionally as environmental businesses. Some of them are quite sort of normal, standard, if you like, boring businesses. So, how is sustainable investing, you know, working? If, for example, you're investing in, uh, and I can't remember the name of business, but let's say Apple or uh, another listed business. Um, yeah. Okay. So, um, I mean, I guess at the, the the sort of basic level, what sustainable investment is is it's a service to our clients. So our, our People who put their money into our funds pay us a fee every, every year. And for that fee, what do they get? So what they get is that we we aim to construct portfolios that invest in sustainable companies to deliver them strong investment returns. So we're, you know, we, we believe there's an alignment between those sustainable businesses and generating strong investment returns. We avoid investing in certain other sectors as well on their behalf. So we don't invest in oil, we don't invest in arms, we don't invest in tobacco, we don't invest in gambling. And we use our ownership of businesses, those businesses we invest in, we use our ownership of them to get them to improve the way they operate, so to decarbonize and all of that. Now, it's not a pure climate change fund. There are climate change funds out there. We believe that you know the move to they're called the sustainable future funds so move to a more sustainable uh, sustainable future which is one that's cleaner healthier and safer and climate change is, is incredibly important and it's probably about a third of our companies in there are accelerating that move to a, a lower carbon future but we also invest in in healthcare in things like digital security um, and yeah and even even things which are quite boring 
apparently, like insurance. But in a sustainable world, you need uh, you know, you'll need insurance. So we have these these kind of themes which underpin what we do. And so when we report back to our clients, and I'll give you a chance to come in with a question. But when when we report back to our clients, we report back on the performance they get. Have we done that bit about delivering the stronger investment returns? The type of companies they're invested in. So trying to uh, illustrate why we think they are linked to a more sustainable world. And thirdly, we talk about the engagement that we've done uh, and how that's improving the way that companies operate. Explain the numbers in uh, my introduction that your your investments, your sustainable investments at Lion Trust are having a 77% lower lower carbon impact than the wider investment market. Yes. Do you measure that's a huge impact or the wider investment market is terrible, but uh, but I'm sure it's all your fabulous work, Pete. So, the, <laughs> you know, there's statistics galore around carbon. Uh, and, and as you know, there's a lot of stuff around boundaries and scope ones and twos and, and threes and fours. That statistic is saying, okay, if you take our portfolio, this is our global portfolio, take our, our portfolio and you look at the carbon emissions from the operations of the businesses in that portfolio and compare it to the carbon emissions from the operations of the index, so the MSCI UK, which will include Exxon, it'll include mining companies that do all that. Our portfolio has much, much less, fewer emissions, like three quarters fewer emissions. Why that's important is that it means that if there's a price put on carbon or constraint on carbon emissions, we're very underweight that risk. What it doesn't mean is that by investing in our portfolio, you've removed a single ton of carbon out of the atmosphere. Your portfolio is, but you've probably made everyone else's just a little bit dirtier. That's one metric to look at carbon through. The other is we don't invest in any oil, gas, coal companies in terms of the extraction of those. We also are in those businesses which are helping to accelerate the transition to a lower carbon future. So companies involved in energy efficiency or renewable energy, etc. So you've got to look at it through different dimensions in terms of carbon exposure. First Mile is the UK's leading waste management service. We help over 30,000 businesses reduce their carbon impact with our award-winning range of recycling solutions. Go to our website, which is thefirstmile.co.uk to get started today. If you're enjoying this episode, don't forget to subscribe. We have brand new episodes every Wednesday. So what's if you look back over the last sort of 23 years since you started in sustainable investing and you know as a pioneer in, in those early years, I mean, what's... What are the key themes that have changed? You mentioned one, which is there's more money invested in sustainable funds, but what else is happening? Yeah, I don't think I don't think I was a pioneer. I think there were people who who've been doing it for twenty years before me uh, as well, who sort of started out doing it. And so I think I've, I've taken on their carried on their baton. But um, I think it, it's kind of gone through stages of acceptance hasn't it where first you're ridiculed then you're um then you're challenged or was it ignored ridiculed and then finally accepted i don't know it's one of one of those stages i think we we're through where people don't any longer say well what a bunch of rubbish that that is uh i think it, it's more the the sort of challenge is more sophisticated which is good it's more like are you the best at sustainable investing are you doing it in the best way so i think that that's that's kind of welcome I think the 
broadening out of sustainable investment to be more than just environmental technology is also important, whereas people realize that there are aspects around kind of societal quality. There are things around health. Uh, there are things about resilience as well, which are equally important to a sustainable world. It's not just about being low carbon. Yeah. Yeah, circular yeah. economy is incredibly important. Well, we're coming on to that. Don't worry. Yeah. So you think it's you think it's here to stay? You don't think it's sort of some overhyped bubble? Because it's sort of a couple of years ago there was this nothing other than you know ESG and sustainable investing. And the FT's full of it. It's died down a little bit now. There's some sort of anti ESG movements coming out of the US. Do you think? But but you, you, it sounds like you think it's firmly here to stay. Definitely, definitely. I mean, and I think if you look at the the kind of demographics of investors, younger investors just see it as much more of an obvious place to invest. Um, yeah. Coming through, I mean, it, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna ebb and flow a bit around a structural growth trend that's that's kind of very been in place for twenty five years. Which is good, yeah. It's good news overall. Do you, and do you think Rish's decision to open up a load of new licenses for drilling oil in? The North Sea is a good idea. I mean, maybe you don't have a view if you're not in the in, in the oil and gas sector, because um, you know the argument is we need that oil, we need that gas to to fuel the transition to a green economy. But we seem to get the yin, but not the yang when the announcement was made. It was let's drill for oil, but there was no real sort of clear investment in the green tech side of things. What was your view on that? Uh, all I'd say is I think it's a bit bizarre. You know, the, you got the US, which is you know, putting. $370 billion into clean tech and its Inflation Reduction Act. The EU is going full steam ahead and, and, and the UK as a sort of like proud island is saying, no, actually, we're not going to do that. I, uh, I, I think it's, it's, it's misguided. Yeah, there was a, a big opportunity for us to, 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 to lead in green after Brexit, but we seem to have uh, squandered that somewhat. So coming on to the, to, uh, coming on to the, the favoured subject of uh, circular economy, the Circularity Gap Report, I don't know if you've seen it or not, estimate that of all the goods in the world, only 8.5% are circular. It's still a very low number, 8.5% um, of materials that are circular. And all of the businesses that you're investing in have got supply chains, they're buying goods and services, they're probably saddled, as we all are, to a, a linear system of production. Do you think we're making progress on making products and services more and goods more circular, or do you think we've got a long, long way to go? We got a long, long way to go, uh, but I mean, I, and the way I, the way I sort of think about it is just think of the the sophistication with which things come into your household, you know, via Amazon or any other shop. I and mean, the sophistication of those supply chains is incredible. And then, and then contrast that with the the you know, the, the back end, your dustbin, which is maybe you know, three different sections and what happens to it afterwards. It, it's just nonsensical that we have all we spend all this effort making these incredible objects that we we use uh, and then we chuck them away in a, in a bin so so no i think we're immense but, but there are some I, I give an example of a few companies that we think um give give signs of, of hope as to how to use this and it's not all pure circularity some of it's kind of down cycling so uh, there's a u.s company called trex they make decking uh, and they make decking out of basically uh used plastic uh, with a bit of kind of used wood in there as well to give it a wood effect, you end up with a much more resilient, durable decking product. And in, in America, decks are a big deal. Uh, so there you're replacing normal timber, you're using a waste stream, you're generating um, you know, added value. So it's, it's kind of, I guess, spiraling down. Um, in a similar vein, 
plastic pipes, poly pipe, and advanced drainage solutions in the US. Well, they they now get to around about fifty percent recycled content. So, so your your you know, waste plastic goes in into kind of infrastructure. Interesting. The reason why they can't go higher than fifty percent is um, certification. So it's not a physical barrier. It's just you know the the, the they need to kind of get it through the certification system. Uh, and then you have packaging companies. So Smurfit Kappa, uh, for instance, do cardboard packaging. Do you know them? Yeah, yeah. Know them well. Know them well. Know them well. So you know, card obviously is kind of one of the most recycled, maybe next to steel materials next to plastic, which even in the EU is a sort of lowly 40%, isn't it? Um, but the good thing about card is this, the card that does end up in, in the environment breaks down very, very quickly. Uh, and so they use 75% recycled content, you know, really high rates of recycling. And, it, you know, it's sensible use. So there are some good business models out there that are developing based on using waste materials. We just need to see many, many more of them. And do you think businesses are acting on the input side as well? Because, and maybe talk about steel here because we always we always sort of think steel has been like one material but i'm sure there's lots and lots of different chemical compositions and types of steel but where we see it sort of in the first mile and in in sort of people's waste streams is we call plastic a generic material but it's not there there are multiple different polymer types that need to be recycled in different ways they've got different melting points etc etc two questions is that the same as steel and should we be thinking about steel differently but also are businesses starting to act and businesses that you know well in your portfolio to try to simplify their inputs and outputs so that they're using less materials and simplifying the product so or the goods at the end of the life it's easier to recycle i think to a degree i think people are now thinking about when they design the product about the life cycle of that product, you know what happens to it at the end. But I don't, think, I don't think you want to overstate it. As as to steel, yes, there are very different grades of steel. Uh, you know, steel is used for car panels has to be really, really high tolerance, and that yeah, that that has tended to be more kind of virgin steel without the impurities and stuff. But but, but I think that's getting a lot. It's getting getting better in terms of the way that they can they can make steel from. Yeah, high quality steel from recycled content as well. But uh, yeah, so it, it is similar to plastic, and it, in a way, you know, a circular economy is a is a misnomer because you can't endlessly. You need to put in a lot of energy to circulate materials. So, yeah, where does that energy come from? There is a balancing act, and generally, I think most things go down a, a spiral. But you want to use get as much utility out of each each good uh, as you can, and then uh, yeah, that that's making the most of the resources at our disposal. Are we going to hit net zero by 2050? We'll be uh, sitting in our rocking chairs by that point, uh, sagely, sagely looking out of the uh, balcony, decked with treks, wondering what's going to happen. So do you think we're going to get there? I oscillate between thinking not a chance in hell, and, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll explain why. I think the, the, the kind of when I think not a chance in hell is just the enormity of what, what we have to achieve. Yeah, we've got a whole world which for a you know, hundred years has been geared towards fossil fuels, all that infrastructure, all that, you know, even, even like political capital that's been invested in being friends with Saudi Arabia and, you know, all, the, all of these things. Transitioning that is quite hard to get your head around. What gives me hope is that when you look at, yeah, I guess partly what got us into the fossil fuel era, and there's, there's a great picture which we refer to, which is, Times Square in New York in 1901, 
and every single vehicle there is the Easter parade. Every single vehicle is a horse and cart. And you scroll forward about a decade, and every single vehicle is uh, you know, Ford Model T or whatever. It's an internal combustion engine. There's one poor horse there. And that solved the environmental problem of lots and lots of horse droppings. So like you know, hundreds of thousands of tons of horse droppings, which was a big environmental problem the cities had. And you solved it within 10 years. And you think about all the, all the infrastructure that needed to be put in place to, to do that. And that's kind of one of the, the reasons I'm optimistic is that we always underestimate the speed at which we transition. You know, if you look at look at revolution in, in smartphones, in cameras, digital cameras, um, yeah, time and time again, once you find a solution that's better and cheaper, it it, it goes like a weed. Maybe weed's not the right way of putting it, but uh, you know, something positive anyway. And it, and it takes over and it becomes obvious. And we're seeing that with investment in renewable energy now. That it doesn't make sense to build a coal-fired power station or a gas-fired power station if you want cheap, easy to rapid to deploy, uh, clean. Where well, it doesn't even need to be, you don't even need the clean bit in the argument. Cheap to deploy, secure energy. Then you go with renewables, and you know, and then that I think has immense power. So I'm going to say optimistic. I'm optimistic today. So getting back to the individual. Can if someone's listening, can they invest in Lion Trust, or do you invest through like other people's pensions? How do I if I, if someone goes right? Okay, so I need to look at my savings or my pension or whatever. What should they do? What's the first steps? Well, I mean, the funds we run are called the Lion Trust Sustainable Future Funds. So, so yeah, that's that's what it says says on on the tin, and we have various various kind of risk risk buckets in terms of volatility, some pure equities all the way through to kind of lower risk corporate bonds. But what I would say is, you know get advice. There are some fantastic financial advisors out there who specialize in in sustainable investing. And they can pick uh, a sustainable investing product that fits your, you know, your your stage in life, your risk appetite. Also tailor it to you know what really is important for you. I mean we we position ourselves as offering sustainable investment for people who uh, who who generally want to invest in a more sustainable world, more broadly, the way we want. But if you wanted a specific fund just focused on climate change, uh, then yeah, there are other options out there, for instance. On this show, we're building a hall of fame for climate heroes, and we always ask our wonderful guests to leave something in First Mile's Climate Heroes Hall of Fame. So what or who would it be? It's a combination of a what and a who. And it's James Lovelock, and it's James Lovelock and his electron capture detector. Oh, wow. Tell us more. What's that? Yeah. So James Lovelock is the most amazing. I mean, if you, if you want to read about an amazing life, his, his life is pretty incredible. So he obviously came up with the Gaia theory. He also developed this electron capture detector, which allows you to sort of sense tiny trace elements of gases, basically, and he used it to identify the chlorofluor CFCs, chlorofluorocarbons, were all over the world, all over the atmosphere. And he took a, he he sort of used his family holiday budget to go by himself on a polar explorer ship down to Antarctica, and he found these CFCs were there as well. And from that, we discovered the CFCs were damaging the ozone layer. But more importantly, it led him to start thinking about the Earth as a, as a joined-up system. Uh, and he developed the Gaia theory from that. 
uh, and uh, you know, and that, that I think has really led to a lot of the science or basis of Earth system science, of which climate change is one. So I think he's he's a absolute you know, foundation in our understanding of how how climate works and how our world works. Amazing and a brilliant explanation of that, and also great as a success story in terms of reversing human impact on the uh, climate because we've uh, solved uh, largely the hole in the ozone layer so all very good so what's what's coming up in the next sort of uh, few years that's sort of getting you excited about the sort of world of sustainability uh, things things that we think are you know, really powerful things. I think the energy transition is is going apace. I think we we really are seeing big investment. We're seeing the benefits of that coming through in terms of energy security. So I think that's that's going to going to continue and 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 grow and grow within healthcare. So you know, providing affordable healthcare we think is is critically important to a sustainable world. And I think all that we've seen in terms of Vaccine development, for instance, through COVID. Uh, so we, you know, we developed the COVID vaccine in under a year, from lab to getting in people's arms. Uh, the typhus, typhoid vaccine, I think, took a hundred years. Speed of speed of change is just just phenomenal, uh, and we can tweak that to providing vaccines for for other conditions and also treating treating other conditions. So I think there's a huge amount of uh, exciting positive news to come out of uh, innovation within healthcare. Uh, what else? I mean, AI, you know, every, everyone's talking about it. You can't move, move without talking about it. I think it could have some very positive um, applications around sustainable development, about making work uh, more interesting, higher quality work. Um, uh, it remains to be seen, uh, but there's certainly a lot going on within technology. We, I guess we still sort of got a, a balanced view on the, the the kind of benefits of that. In one way, it's amazing in terms of access to knowledge and education. Uh, in other ways, it's uh, you know has has negative consequences where it's tied towards an tied to an advertising model, which is just to push product at you. Uh, so those those are uh, some areas where we think there's there's kind of a lot of excitement around. And brilliant. Uh, and on the energy transition, do you think we've got enough Cornwalls now going to? mine i think eight thousand tons of lithium and it's relatively small in global terms but great we've got some at home do you think we've got enough ingredients to make enough batteries for the energy transition and not just evs but storage and everything else or do you think that's just going to become a, a bit of a bottleneck until we can change the chemistry of, of the batteries uh i mean as i understand lithium's pretty common there's no, I mean, there's a lot of it around. It's just you could kind of put the investment into to get it out of the ground. But, but I think there are going to be bottlenecks in some areas on there. But we, you know, we we will we will get through them. I think it's. Uh, I, I'm always a bit suspect when people kind of come up with another scare story around batteries and EVs and things because. Yeah, the the people who pay the advertising of the newspapers where this is put in. <laughs> exactly. I heard it on Top Gear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Jeremy Clarkson says. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be. Um, yeah, I, I I think that it's kind of well underway, and I think most people you ask have driven an electric vehicle, so I'm not not going back. No. No, it, it is a classic. It's moving from a horse to a Model T. It's just say like better in every single way. But that's great, Pete. It's been brilliant having you on the show. Uh, I'm sort of slightly conscious of time, and we could 
go on about this for, for hours and hours and hours, really. A couple of questions before we go. What should we be all, you're a learned man, what should, we, what should we be reading at the moment or podcast listening to or watching on TV? What are you, what are you into at the moment that you'd like to share with our listeners? One podcast I like is, is Cleaning Up by Michael Liebreich. Liebreich. Uh, I think he speaks very well on that. He gets some really interesting guests in. I think that's uh, you know, one that I enjoy listening to. Oh, he's also, he also has a positive message. So cleaning I've up. I've not come up like, uh, across right. that. Cleaning up. Excellent. That's very exciting. I'll get, obviously, after you've listened to all the episodes of Climate Heroes, you can go and have a listen to that. Pete, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on First Miles Climate Heroes. Good luck with sustainable investing at Line Trust. And uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks very much, Bruce. It's been a real pleasure. I'm Bruce Brightley, and you've been listening to First Miles Climate Heroes, where we meet incredible people making an impact to tackle climate change. If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and subscribe to the show. We have brand new episodes every Wednesday. <laughs>